You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I'm going to be ministering to you on the topic, uh, being strong in the Lord. And the reason why I'm ministering this tonight, because many times we'll believe in God for certain things, but because we're weak in faith, we're never, never able to endure long enough to actually obtain it, or we begin to doubt right before it happens and we miss out on what God's promised. And one thing about being strong in the Lord, which is critical, is that if you are not, you'll be unable to really reach the peaks that you desire in your life. You know, on Mount Everest, which is 26,000 feet high, they, all the climbers there know that you don't even attempt the summit when you're tired and you're weak. Because at the summit, they call it the death zone. And as soon as you hit that, because the altitude is so high, uh, the actual the cells in your body begin to die. And uh, many people have tried to do it, have had strokes, heart attacks, uh, because they were too tired before they hit that summit. And, but those who were strong enough when they hit the summit were able to break through. And I'm trusting tonight that many of you are going to learn how to be strong in the Lord so that you can make the summit in your life. Amen? So that you can reach that high place that God wants you to be and bring forth the great blessing. Are you excited about this, church? All right. Look over with me, if you would, over the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to use this as our text tonight. And we could just quote it, but I want you to look at it. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say try to be strong. He didn't say work on being strong. He says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, here's the part that I want you to see that's so critical about this. The only way that we can become strong in the Lord is by having faith in his strength in us. And that's where the problem comes. Many times we don't uh, display faith in the strength that we have in our salvation. Therefore, we become weak and feeble. One of the classic examples of this in Scripture is found in the Old Testament, uh, Joel chapter 3, verse 10. And it's describing the, the battle of Armageddon. If you know anything about that, I've been to Israel and saw it, saw the valley. Uh, it's a place where at the end times, all the nations will come and surround Israel and try to destroy them. And the prophetic word is this, let the weak say they're strong. In other words, God's telling them how to have strong faith in the midst of that, and he's telling them the way that you do it is not talking about your inadequacy or your lack of weapons or your lack of ability, but to be strong and declare yourself strong because the Lord is your sword. Amen? The Lord is your fortress. The Lord is your powerhouse in that. And so the very fact that he says, if you're weak, say you're strong, to me is a mind blower because we always want to talk about how weak we are. We want to have an organ recital on everything that's wrong with our bodies. We, we don't exercise faith in what Christ has given us, and that weakens your faith. Let me give it to you another way. The Apostle Paul, three times he prayed that the thorn in the flesh that was given to him in his life would be taken away. 
And if you know anything about the thorn in the flesh, you'll know that it was an expression used in the Old Testament when there was unnecessary persecution in a person's life. When God took Joshua into the promised land, God said to possess all of it, but he didn't possess all of it. And the remnant that he left there was a remnant of people who became a thorn in Israel's flesh and persecuted them and all that kind of stuff. And so when Paul's praying for this, after three attempts, standing in faith for it, that this, that this huge persecution would lift off him, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul said that when I'm weak, I am strong. He's doing the same thing that the prophet Joel said to do. When you're weak, say you're strong. Don't say you're weak, say you're strong in the Lord. Doesn't matter what's coming at you, doesn't matter how much pressure you, all, you have in your life, you need to do that. And if you do that, it will bring you to a place. In fact, in the book of James, it says, let the poor say they're rich. And if people could just grasp that, instead of being overcome by the pain and the suffering and the weakness that we feel, if we could we just declare what we are in Christ, his strength would become manifested in our lives. In other words, it's not about your strength. It's about his strength in you. Paul, instead of saying, I can't do that, he said, I can do all things through Christ. And so what we see then is the power of a person's confession. Now, a lot of people, when you mention the word confession in the Bible, they think of the confession of sin. And there is a part in the Bible where we confess sins. James talks about confess your faults one to another so that you be reconciled. And John talks about it as an indication of, of sin, if we confess our sins, that you abide in Christ. That is a, a demonstration that God is in you if you agree with God's word concerning sin. But the other times that it's used, one other time is used, John the Baptist, he had people come to him and they were water baptized in the baptism of repentance and they would confess their sins to prepare them for Christ. And then the one that really relates to us is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 down to verse 25. It says there, it says to hold fast. Say hold fast. Come on, get with me here. Hold fast to the, or hold fast to the hope of your confession for he who promised is faithful. And then he says stir one another up in love and works. And then he says don't forget the gathering together the saints and so forth. But he says to hold it fast. You know what that means? That means that the individual is going to resist everything that is in opposition to God's word. In other words, he's going to resist it so that, so that the devil's will cannot be done in your life. When you hold fast to that confession. Praise God. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says that we're to consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And everyone that loved Jesus said amen. amen. Now I'm saying that because when I use the word confession, I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about what in fact the old King James Version translates profession. In other words, they translate it profession, hold fast to the, your profession. In other words, declare what God's word says 
Get in agreement with what God says, and when you do, his strength comes in you. And I know it's simple, but yet many people still don't do it. And I look at it like this. If you have a yard and you want it to be in great shape, the worst thing you can do is go out there with a hoe and dig up all the weeds with a hole. It looked like a war zone by the time you get done. But the best thing that you can do is fertilize it. Because if you make the soil healthy, the grass healthy, it will grow so greatly, it will push out the weeds in your yard. And when we came to Christ, Christ gave us everything we need to push the weeds out of our life. It's not about all the weaknesses that you have that you focus in on. It's about all the strengths that you have in Christ. And when you focus in on all the strengths that you have, it pushes out all of your weakness. In other words, if you're going to overcome lust, it's not by focusing in on lust. If you're overcoming pride, it's not by focusing in on pride. It's by focusing in on the righteousness of God that's in your life. And get a revelation that I'm righteous in Christ not by what I did, but I'm righteous in Christ because of what Christ did, and that produces holiness in your life. I said it, but you push it out. You, you got to confess what God's word says instead of confess what your humanity is saying, what people are saying, what the world is saying, what it looks like. You got to start confessing what the word of God says about you in your life, and it pushes out the rest. So being strong isn't, has nothing to do with effort. It has everything to do with declaring your faith. As you declare in faith, when everything says something different, you declare in faith, my God meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You declare it in faith, and when you do that, that declaration of, of faith causes the power of God to operate within you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself strong in the Lord instead of wimpy in the Lord. Are you getting to church? Now, I'm going to make a statement here that I heard years ago from the father of my faith. And I'm going to show you a twist to it. He said this. He said, a thought that is unspoken dies unborn. In other words, you can have a negative thought hit your mind, but if you don't speak it, it's not conceived. you got to speak it. Well, the reverse is true. You can think good thoughts. You can think like a winner. You can think like an overcomer. But if you don't speak it, it will not be conceived in your heart. So you have to verbalize whatever it is that you've studied in the knowledge of God concerning your salvation. And as you verbalize it, the power is released. Joseph never would have come, become prime minister of Egypt if he had kept quiet about the dream the Lord had given him. The very fact that he shared it released the power of it in his life. And the same thing, in other words, secret service Christians never move mountains. Secret service Christians never seem to get healed. Secret servant Christians never seem to have supernatural prosperity. Secret service, come on. They don't get the breakthrough because it's all, well, I don't want to offend anybody, whatever. You got to be bold about what you believe and not be intimidated by the people that the devil will send in your way. Amen? Well, I'm not going to say that about myself. If God says it about you, you should say it. Nothing to be ashamed, amen?
You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not underneath. You're an overcomer before you overcome anything in your life. Hallelujah. So when you begin to change this in your life, it will begin to produce the blessings that God wants you to have. See, there's a reason why in Scripture it says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 56, I believe it is, it says the strength of sin is the law. Why would he say that? Because under the law, it revealed how sinful all of us were. Because the law is about don't do this, don't do that. In other words, by your own ability, don't do this, don't do that. And when you strengthen your flesh, it produces more lust, it produces more greed, it produces more pride. Jesus came along and fixed that, praise God, and said, listen, I'm going to do it for you. And I want you to believe in what I did for you and declare that so that my power can operate through you. For sin will not dominate in someone that has been freed from the law. It will not dominate in you because your focus is on what Christ has done for you instead of what you're doing by your own abilities. Amen. Thank you. That's a very weak applause. I think I'll wait for a better one because we want to give it to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and, and let me tell you why I think this is so, so important. You know, being a man, I have a lot of men that come up to me and say, Pastor, I've had this rust, uh, lust problem and all this stuff. And uh, there's been all kinds of teaching to the church that come up and uh, go to this class and, and learn how to overcome lust. And the way they want to overcome lust is to learn more about all the different facets of lust. All you're going to do is lust more. That's not the way you do it. You have, to, you have to become established on who you are in Christ, that you have the authority of Christ, that you're above that, that when you're led by the Spirit, you never even get close to that. And, and so if you have the wrong emphasis, it takes you down. Now remember, I, before I got saved, I was in the Catholic Church. And I'm not slamming Catholics, but all they talked about was sin. You sin, you do this. You do this to get forgiven of your sin. And all we did is sin more. That's not the way you overcome. You overcome by faith in Christ. Now, I don't have time to, do it, to teach you tonight on it, but uh, you're not forgiven of sins because you confessed every sin. If you did, none of us would be saved because you've forgotten many of the sins that you have done. Amen. But we're forgiven from our sins when we believe on Christ. That's why James said this. He said the prayer of faith would save the sick. And if they committed any sins, they would be forgiven. In other words, you're not forgiven because you remembered all your sins. You're forgiven because you believed in faith in Christ Jesus, that he provided healing and forgiveness, and, the for, and, the for, or, and, and all the forgiveness goes along with it when you place your faith in Christ. When I got saved, there's no way I could believe, I could remember all the sins I committed. There's too many of them. But when I believed in Christ, he just wiped them all out. Hallelujah. But do you see the principle I'm trying to say? I want you to fertilize your spirit tonight with who you are in Christ. I want you to fertilize your spirit with that so it can drive out all these things that we struggle with. But it won't, it won't work 
if your focus is on what's wrong in your life instead of what's right in your life in Christ Jesus. And everybody that loved him said amen. Now, let me remind you of a verse, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Let me say it again. Faith comes by what? Hearing. It only comes by hearing. It doesn't come by actions that you do. It comes by hearing and hearing a word about Christ. Now, in the church as a whole, many people think the way to, to reach the lost is just to bless them and do good for them, and we should do that. Don't misunderstand me. But they'll never get saved just by paying their bills. They won't get saved just by giving them food. They'll only get saved when someone preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. All that other stuff is great, but they'll never get saved by it because faith comes by hearing. If it wasn't, then all these ministries that are not Christian that give to the poor, everybody would be getting saved. But it's always by hearing. Here at the church, we support, we have our criteria to support ministries. And the main criteria is that they preach the gospel. If it's just feeding the hungry, we don't just, we don't just give them money feed the hungry. If they preach the gospel, we'll give money to them while they're feeding the poor. But we won't just do it for that. Why? Because no one can get saved just because you get your stomach full. You got to have the gospel preached. Amen? And I don't care about offending the society or the government or anything else. It's my job to preach the gospel to people. Tell them they need Jesus Christ to be saved. Amen? And help them out. Praise God. But nothing will happen unless faith comes by hearing. But here's the beautiful thing. Faith comes when I preach, but faith comes when you hear yourself speak in faith. In other words, when you say to yourself what God's Word says, faith comes. And as soon as you say it, there's conception. And once there's conception, then it begins to grow, and then an action will release the manifestation into your life. In other words, it's spiritual first, and then it ends up becoming physical later or material later, but it's got to be spiritually conceived, which cannot happen without you saying what God's Word says. It doesn't say that you're saved simply because you're water baptized. You're saved because you confess Jesus is Lord. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I know you know that. But the same principle works through every aspect in your life, and it will give you a great blessing. Now, let me show you something else here. If you want to have strong faith, you've got to be grounded in how much God loves you. If you don't, you won't run to him for help. And you'll miss the blessing that God has for you. Let me, I'm going to say some things that may be different than you've heard before, but just hear me out. Many people, when there's a hurricane or an earthquake, they say that's God's judgment on America or whatever and so forth. Or this is happening, you know, uh, COVID came because we're killing babies and all that. And so they associate many natural disasters with God. Like your insurance policy in God, 
you know, unless it's an act of God. And, but the truth of the matter is, is you see it in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament pointed to Christ to come. So you see God's wrath, you see judgment, because it all pointed to the Savior coming. Once Christ came and died for our sins at the cross 2,000 years ago, everything changed. Now it's called, today is the day of salvation. In other words, right now you can be saved. Right now God is not pouring out his wrath. And a verse to support this in 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says that Christ has reconciled us to himself, or to himself, and given us the ministry of reconciliation. It didn't say that God was reconciled to us. It says that we were reconciled to him. In other words, God's not mad at you right now. He, in his son, he died for your sins. Right now is a time of grace. Right now, God says, as many as will come, I will accept them. As many as receive my son, I will forgive them. It's a time of grace right now. Now, when that time uh, finishes which I believe is right after the rapture, then you'll see the wrath of God in the, in the seven years of tribulation, but you don't see it right now. I said, you don't see it right now. God is not judging the sinner right now. He's telling me to preach to the sinner the good news of the gospel, that today is the day of salvation. You can get saved today. You can get blessed today. You can be forgiven of your sins today. You can have overcoming power today. You can have my spirit reign in your life today. That's awesome. So sin obviously creates problems, uh, disaster and everything else, global warming, whatever. But the reality is, it's not God's wrath. It's just produced from sin. Now, what I want you to see from this is that when we approach God, if we're going to be strong in the Lord, we've got to realize something. That as soon as Jesus showed up, everything changed. If you wanted to see the Father, you saw Jesus. And it said in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus with the Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and delivering all of those, they were oppressed of the devil. In other words, Jesus' ministry was rescuing people, delivering people. You never seen, saw him put sickness on anybody. You didn't see him call down fire on anybody. It was a ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling people to God. And that's the same ministry that we have today. Let me give you an example of this. Matthew chapter 8. Now here's Jesus. He's on the, uh, uh, on the mount. And he's been teaching the Beatitudes to the disciples. Great teaching. And he comes down often and says this. And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now it's important you understand that there's not a few people here. This is a great multitude. People don't understand how many people followed Jesus. So many people followed Jesus when he did miracles. Oftentimes he told them, don't tell anybody. Because he knew if he told them, he wouldn't be able to go to that area. The people would swarm him. And so it, it, he wanted to build a ministry as many people as he possibly could. And so as in, behold, a leopard came, worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put on, 
put out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, notice the next part. And Jesus said unto him, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, understand this healing of leprosy was more than healing of a disease. He says, Go to show yourself to the priests so that you can get back into the community. Because when you had leprosy, it was a disease that was very contagious, and, uh, and, and you could not be around anybody any closer than six feet. That is if it was not windy out. If it was windy out, you had to be 150 feet away, or people could stone you with rocks. And this disease, I don't know if you ever studied it out, has a real stench to it. And what happens is the skin begins to rot away. It begins to pus. And one of the problems lepers have is while they're sleeping, rats will come and chew off parts of their body because they can't feel it. And they'll just do an ordinary... I read a story of this one uh, leper, and he's trying to get into a, uh, you know, a, one of these cabinets things, and he's got a key, and he didn't realize he did like, and, and literally tore his thumb off trying to get in because he can't feel nothing. And so it's a horrible disease... And no one, in fact, you see this in Leviticus 5.3, it was unlawful to talk, touch a, a, a leper. So this leper was going against the law just to appear before Jesus. And he wasn't just before Jesus, he was before a multitude. And then Jesus wasn't supposed to touch him. But here's the part I want you to see. When God's righteousness touches unrighteousness, unrighteousness doesn't contaminate the righteousness. The righteousness purifies the unrighteous. When you touch Jesus, he purifies you. And that's exactly what he did with his man. He touches him, and he was healed, and he was delivered. And he says, I want you to go show us the priest so that you can get back into fellowship with the community again because they would be isolated. And in fact, if you were a leper, uh, they would burn your clothes. They would never even bother trying to keep them. And if you were in a home and there was a leper in it, if the leper left, they would replaster the inside of the house. But if somebody caught leprosy again in that house, they would tear it on the house and they would never use the wood again and they would just burn it, throw it away. That's how contagious it was. But Jesus blew their minds. And this guy's got faith. This guy's going into a crowd that if Jesus wasn't there, they probably would have stoned him because he knew something about God. He knew that Jesus was not preaching hellfire and brimstone and that God was looking to judge and punish and destroy everybody. If he would have got that sense, he never would have approached Jesus, but he knew that Jesus had gone about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Didn't hear of anybody that Jesus said no to. Everybody Jesus set him free, so he went. A lot of people can't approach God that way. They approach, oh, God, he won't do anything for me. After all, you know, I divorced my wife or after all, I didn't tithe for six months. So, God, he won't have anything to do with me now. And a lot of people are like that. I know an individual, he fell off his roof. And he wasn't under my pastoring, so I, I can't say I failed at pastoring him, but uh, he uh, broke his back, severed his nerves can't walk. And to this day, he tells everybody that God did that to him 
because he had been backsliding. God does not cripple you. He heals you. Now, backsliding might put you in a position that you can get, the devil can chew you up and spit you out, but it's not God. God's there to heal. God's there to restore. God's there to bring you back. Come on. Amen. So if you're going to have strong faith, you've got to understand that God, it does get angry and is a God of wrath, but he's not known for being a God of wrath. He's known for being a God of love. His mercy endureth forever. His wrath is for a moment, it says in the Psalms. And so you've got to get that revelation because if you don't, you're not going to be strong in your faith as soon as you become aware of your inconsistencies. Is that all I'm going to get tonight? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, that's got to be for you, praise God. Now, notice that the leper knew that God was able, but he didn't know if he was willing. I wonder if that's our biggest problem. You talk to any Christian and say, oh, God's able to do this, God's able to do that. You'll never have strong faith just believing that God is able. You've got to believe that he's willing and wants to heal you. You've got to believe that he's willing and wants to prosper you. You've got to believe he's willing and wants your marriage to be good. You've got to believe he's willing, not just he can, but that he wants to. Because if, you're, if you don't believe that he is willing to do it for you, you're never going to declare in faith what you need to declare to get the breakthrough that you need in your life. Amen. Think of what Paul said. My God shall or will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus. Why do you say that? Because they exercised faith. They, offered an, they gave an offering. And Paul didn't say, well, you know, this may work, may not. No, he knew it would work. He knew God was not only able, but he was willing. And he didn't mince words with it. He didn't say, well, God may prosper some of you. He may meet some of your needs, or he may get you from foreclosure. He didn't do that. He said God would. He would, he will, and he wants to. Say it with me. God wills, and he would, and he wants to. He wants the best in your life. Hallelujah. So you build yourself up in your most holy faith by that. Now, if you're going to have strong faith, you're going to have to believe all of the word, not just what is traditionally taught to you? You got to find the scriptures and realize if God said it. I, I, I love what David said. He said, "Many of the affliction, of, uh, many of the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver us out of all of them. Not ninety-nine percent, not ninety-eight percent. All of them, hundred percent." Years ago, when I was teaching on restoration. I came across some promises a lot of people are not aware of. And that's in Joel 2.24. It says that, that God would restore the years of the canker worm. And then he's talking about years of mistakes. And then in the verse up above, it says that God is faithful to give you the early rain and the latter rain. Do you have any idea what that means? And he said he'd give it to them in one month. The early rain happened in spring when the seed was sown. 
Without it, none of the seeds germinate. The latter rain was given to bring the harvest in so that the manifestation was experienced in people's lives. And the promise is that God will germinate the seed or the word of God in your life, whatever you need. God will germinate it. God will quicken it. God will take what you confess and, and quicken it in your heart. It might take a while, but God will quicken it in your life. It'll germinate, and then God will rain His Spirit on that seed and bring in the harvest, whether provision, whether healing, come on, whether opportunity, whether breakthrough in your life. Woo! That's good news. But that's what it promises. And what I love about uh, Joel 2.24 is he gives a list of the destruction that locusts would bring. But it's different than the list that he gives in the first chapter. In the first chapter, he starts out with the least amount of damage a locust does, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. But in Joel 24, when he says he's redeeming, he, he starts from the second and goes to the worst, and then the last thing he says is the least amount of damage. It's like he's saying this. Listen, You've messed up your lives, years of mess up. I'm not only going to restore the big stuff, I'm going to restore the bruised heart. I'm going to restore the pain that you experienced through that divorce. I'm going to, I'm going to restore the, 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 the nervousness and the nightmares that you had from that experience. I'm going to, and he wanted to end with that to say, don't worry about just the material part. What about the little part that hurt you? I'm going to restore that. And he says, the years. The years. How many people you know are not strong in the Lord because they have a history of messing up? They go, wow, maybe if I had it together more, I'd get it. And so they keep, they keep thinking that the person that earns the most is the one that gets blessed the most. God's grace is free. That's why he says in the parable, he said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The guy uh, that was hired at the end that only worked one hour got the same amount that worked all day because when God hands out grace, it doesn't matter whether you got it in the middle of life or whether you got it at the end of life or whether you got it in the beginning of life. It's the same eternal life that God gives to every person. Man, when you see that, it really makes you strong in the Lord. And I'm saying that because I don't know about you, but many times I've started things the wrong way. And you want to fix it, and a lot of times you don't believe it can be fixed because it was started the wrong way. But I want you to hear right now that a lot of you that are married here today, you started the wrong way. You started in the back seat of the pickup. Say amen, everybody. And that doesn't mean that God can't end it well. But you're going to have to change things. I've seen people with millions of dollars start the wrong way and get saved and end well. It doesn't matter how you start. What matters is how you finish. And when you understand God's grace, God knows we make mistakes. And you look through the Bible. Think about it for a minute. David was called a man after God's own heart. He committed murder and adultery. And God used Bathsheba, his wife, to bring in the wisest man in the world, which is uh, Solomon. 
outside of Jesus. I mean, talk about start a marriage the wrong way. Murder your husband, her husband, but God still helped him. That tells me, praise God, Lord, we all make a few mistakes here and there, but I'll tell you what, that's a major mistake. I think God put the big ones in the, in the scriptures so that your little ones wouldn't be a problem. I didn't kill nobody. I'm in good shape. Yeah, most of us are like that. But God put all those bad ones out there so that your little one wouldn't overtake you. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm not in the Bible. Because I, 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 I really didn't have any huge, really, really, really big ones. Amen? Now, i got to wind this down real quickly. If you want to have strong faith, you can't have passive faith. This idea of Christianity sitting around... Well, I'll just wait and see what the Lord wants. No, you'll never have strong faith that way. Strong faith is never passive. It's aggressive. It takes. It possesses. It won't stand still. Peter, understand, Peter was the only guy that got out of the boat. Everybody else stayed in the boat. He got out of the boat. We, we criticize Peter, but who else walked on the water? You gotta, you, passive faith will not get you healed. Passive faith will not prosper you. Passive faith will not make your marriage better. Wait and see. Don't wait and see. Change. Confess the word over your life. Get aggressive. Because it will make your faith great if you're the type of person that will just act on it and go with it in your life. Now, this next truth I'm going to tell you is so powerful. I want you to hear this. Soon as faith comes... Say it with me. As soon as faith comes, faith takes control over your circumstances. But when faith is not manifested, your circumstances control your life. And who is it that controls circumstances? Satan. So Satan will control your life when there's no faith. But when there's faith, you decide what you're going to do. You take. It's like as soon as you got faith, all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat. You're not a passenger. You're not going wherever the car says to go. All of a sudden, that faith has power over the circumstances in your life. And it doesn't matter how big they are, whatever, has power over them. I said has power over them. Now, many of you know my wife, she just had surgery on her knee, and, and uh, my washing machine broke, or not washing machine, refrigerator broke. And I had a hard time finding one because it's such a big uh, refrigerator. So I had one scheduled out to come, but I just kept feeling in my spirit there was going to be a problem. With it coming, I need it now. I don't need it a week from now. I need it right now. And sure enough, the guy calls up and says, man, we're backed up. Can we reschedule for Friday? And But understand what happened before I talked to him. I'd sensed in my spirit there was gonna, something was going to happen. And so I started confessing over that refrigerator. I said, we're going to get it today. Satan, you're not going to stop it. I, I began to confess in faith over a stupid refrigerator. So the guy calls me up, and I said to him, I said, is there anyone else that can do it? I need it today. And he just changed. He says, I'm going to be out there right now. We're going to do it. I'm not going to accept that. He came out and did it. Amen. I believe that if I hadn't spoken in faith over a perceived, and I say perceived problem, 
that problem would have got the best of me. Amen? And I would have been going to the grocery store getting, getting crushed ties for my wife rather than have a machine do it for me. So, well, Pastor, that's not that big a miracle. It is when you got a knee replacement. Say amen, everybody. It's a big deal. Hallelujah, Jesus. But I want you to see that. So faith literally takes control of the doctor's report. It takes control of the body. It takes control of your finances. It takes control of it. But when there is no faith released, then circumstances. How many have heard uh, so-and-so move because uh, allergies in this area? You hear reports after report, or, uh, you know, I had to move because of this or that. No, your faith should be deciding where you live, what you do, not the circumstances, because it'll control it. Amen? Now, look at it like this. It's like when you confess the word over problems, children, whatever it is. Look at it as seeding clouds to get rain. Raining of blessing. Now, let me, let me say this to you. You know, in, in the United States, there are eight states that seed clouds every year to get more snow, to get more rain. In fact, science is really developing this to overcome glo uh, the global warming. In fact, the military is even looking into it. And right now, the scientists get 5 to 15% results. And when you, get, when, you, you know, when you don't get rain or you don't get snow, you get problems. But they seed it. I want to seed every problem in my life with the Word of God. I may not know every problem that's coming, but when I know it's coming, or God warns me it's coming, I want to seed it in faith. I want to seed it in faith. Father, I'm just going to seed it in faith. I'm going to say this in faith. And then when that problem comes, the blessings will rain down on you. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.